What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Final Four. It's not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. Uh, and MSU hosts Indiana on Saturday afternoon at four. Uh, and Rod, they come into this one 16 and 7, 7 and 6 uh, in the conference in Mike Woodson's first year. Um, now, they're ranked pretty pretty good in Ken Palm, 39th in Ken Palm, 35 in the net. Probably on the outside looking in right now, but a couple good wins and they might be back on the bubble. Oh, I, no, I think they'd be in. If yeah. it happened today, yeah, with those numbers, when you're, when you're sitting in the mid-30s in the net, they have that win over Purdue, which is a big one. I think they also beat Ohio State, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, earlier this year. Yeah. No, they, they'd be in. I would take. I would characterize it this way. They're currently in good position, but they've got work to do to solidify their spot. They are. Mm-hmm. They are still in a position where if they slipped, they went on skid, kind of the way they did down the stretch last year. They yeah. could put themselves out of it. But right now, I would say they're in. Yeah. That's that's what I was going to say. Actually, is despite a lot of consternation around, um, you know, uh, Bloomington about how things that have been going on, how they've been playing, all of that. It, it's still been a decent first year for Mike Woodson. They're, they're right now, I would describe them as a, uh, a slightly better version of essentially what Archie Miller had going on. Yeah. It's the same kind of team. They really struggle to score. They're very, very good defensively. I just think they're a little better defensively than they've been. Mm-hmm. Uh, under Archie, and, and that's maybe made the difference. Now, they have had two two consecutive losses here, although the loss to Northwestern, they had five guys out uh, for disciplinary yeah. reasons. Um, four of them played, but I'm, it wasn't like Tracy Jackson Davis was out or anything. I mean, they they still had uh, the bulk of their guys. Uh, they, but they was, had, it was still they, rough, though. They, they took a hit on their guard spots. You know, there, there's a couple different things going on. One is Rob Finnessy has been out, and they're not sure when he's going to be back. He's got apparently a very severe case of plantar fasciitis, and anybody who's had that knows what that can be like. You also know that, it, you know, usually they talk about that as a longer-term thing to solve, but it's a weird one. Like, I always, my first, re, the first point that that really, that condition really came into my mind was, if I remember correctly, it was in the playoffs, the year that the Pistons oh, won. Oh, Rasheed Wallace. I think. With Rasheed Wallace, that's right. And the talk initially was, oh, he's done. And he was back like the next game. Like somehow it had just, the problem had resolved. Now maybe it was a misdiagnosis, I don't know. But it's a, in any event, it's a weird one. Uh, can be a weird one. But assume that Finnessy's going to be out for a little while at least. I'm not expecting he's going to play in this game. Maybe he'll surprise us, but I'm not expecting it. Mm-hmm. So that took them down one guy. 
who was very firmly in their rotation at the point. Then among these five guys, they had their starting, their two starting guards, Xavier Johnson and Parker Stewart, both sat out. The guy who supplanted Finnessy as the primary point guard backup, Christian Lander, was also among the five. So they were in a situation where they had to play Trey Galloway at the point. Trey Galloway is not a point guard. It's it's basically like saying at MSU, I'm trying to think of the analogy. I mean, it would almost be like saying Pierre Brooks run the show. <laughs> not quite not quite to that extent because Trey Galloway's actually been playing a lot of minutes, but mm. none at the point. And he suffered. He had five turnovers against Northwestern. And Northwestern won a tight game, so it absolutely had an impact. Mm-hmm. You know, two starters down. And uh, and basically all five of the guys who were suspended are currently in their rotation, if you include Lander, because he is right now with Finnessy out. Mm-hmm. So it was big. Now, they should be – we do expect them to be back in this one, though, at least. They are. You know, yeah. uh, um, uh, Woodson announced today that they've all been reinstated. It was a curfew violation. I didn't read deeply enough to see if there were any more details out there. That's how it was characterized. Mm-hmm. And I'll assume that was a deal. Look, credit, you know, credit to Mike Woodson. Yeah. Cause it's an, it's an easy thing to bend rules, to overlook it. And it's very when it's five guys. I mean, he knew going into that game, if he did this, if he suspended all of these guys, he had to know, Hey, it's going to be really tough to get a win. Mm-hmm but he didn't sacrifice whatever the standards are that he's establishing in his program. And, you know, here's the thing too. We'll never know how many times situations like that occur and the coach decides to ignore it. Yeah. Right. You never know. You never know. So I would, I would say that that earns a little bit of credit with me, at least in terms of his being willing to establish, to do the, the hard stuff to establish the culture that he wants. I have no idea what the particulars were, what they violated. Did these guys sneak in a minute after curfew or something like that? Who the hell knows? Hmm. But at least Mike Woodson is saying, hey, I'm willing to take a loss for the sake of establishing a culture, Mm -hmm. a standard of of performance, a standard of adherence to rules, all of those things. And that's that's worth something. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you just you don't hear about that too often, especially when it comes to curfew. Uh, no, not <laughs> and it's... it may and look again. I don't know all the details. Sometimes these things are the final result of a culmination of offenses. It could be that guys were doing things at the margins for a while, mm-hmm. and this was the last straw. You know, it could be that. It's I have no idea how how much of a hard ass he is but again the bottom line to me is that he did this knowing what situation it was going to put his team in and oh i think it's a credit to him that they were as close as they were against mm-hmm. northwestern because they really did not have guard play yeah at all i mean galloway is a wing and not really a He's not the guy you think of as a playmaker. He's running the show. Anthony Leal, who doesn't play a ton, was playing major minutes. I, they were they were in a rough, rough spot. Mm-hmm. And and he had to know that it was going to put them behind the eight ball, and he still did it. So, as I said, credit to him. Yeah. 
Uh, so, yeah, offense, you mentioned not so good. 106 on offense. Uh, and shooting has been an issue. 132 from three, 86 from two. Yeah, and, and that 86 from two is, I think, is even a little more surprising when you consider that they actually have two very good low post options. Yeah. Trace Jackson Davis, obviously everybody knows, but race Thompson is a load down there too. And have two of those guys playing major minutes and you're still that low on two point shooting. That tells you that they're not getting a lot done via penetration. Nobody else is really finishing at a high clip. And the other thing is, this is particularly true. I think in regard to Jackson Davis, they might not be getting enough shots for those guys. Mm-hmm. That's been an issue. I mean, we'll talk about it in a little more detail, but that's been a problem, I think. They needed Trace Jackson Davis to to elevate. He was great last year, and they needed him to maybe go up another step to be really good, for this team to be really good. That's what they needed to happen. It has not happened. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's not because he's playing ultra poorly and, you know, his shooting is worse. His shooting's significantly better, actually. It was last season. He's just not getting the ball enough, and you only have to watch IU play a couple times to really see it. They just don't get him the ball enough. So I think all of that is factoring into why, part part of the reason, at least, of why their shooting has been so poor. Mm-hmm. But it is, and that's a continuation from, I mean, you really got to go back to when Tom Crane was there to find a good shooting Indiana team. That was the entire time Archie Miller was there they struggled. And I, I made this comment, might have been on the Spartan Mag board, I forget where it was, but it is stunning to think about we're on four years now of Indiana can't throw the ball into the ocean. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that. And it's Indiana. Yeah, it's, it's the state of all states that produces kids who from the time they're, they can shoot a basketball, that they can physically get a ball up to a rim, do nothing but shoot. 12 months a year. <laughs> I mean, the state has produced some of the greatest pure shooters the game has ever seen. And somehow the flagship institution of that state for four years running has been unable to find guys who could shoot the basketball. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you combine the bad shooting with, uh, the next two problems, which is turnovers and offensive rebounding. I mean, they're 145 in turnovers and 202 in, in offensive rebounding. Yeah, the offensive rebounding number is weird to me because, again, they've got three guys, actually, Jackson Davis and Thompson, and then one of their backup wings, Geronimo, are all really good offensive rebounders. It's surprising to me that that number is that low because Indiana has had, they, and they did have teams under Archie Miller that were pretty good there. Mm-hmm. Um, not this year. The turnover numbers, again, I, I, to me, I think, in my opinion, the big problem with Indiana for the entire Archie Miller period and this year too can be offensively can be summed up in guard play. Mm-hmm. Their guard play has not been nearly good enough. And I think, that is reflected in turnover problems at times. It's reflected in shooting percentages, both in terms of the way those guys shoot individually and also the shots that they're maybe getting or not getting for their big men who can finish. Mm-hmm. It's all lacking. And when you watch Indiana play, I, I think the objective view of Indiana is their guard play is the weak spot mm-hmm. still. 
it's maybe better in some ways than it was last the last couple of years, but it's not good enough. Yeah, and they don't shoot free throws well either. Sixty eight percent as a team, good for two seventy two. Big problem. And the guys, some of the guys who take a lot of them, like TJD, not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so defense, it's a little better. Um, 15th overall. Well, it's a lot better actually. 15th yeah. overall, uh, number six in two point defense and number 51 against threes. Um, but they yeah. do give up a lot of three point attempts. They do relative. I mean, it's not, it's not like they're hemorrhaging a ton of three point attempts from opponents, but, um, they, they're more vulnerable there. They're really good against twos. And it's, I think they're, what are they? Seventh and shot block percentage, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, it all ties together that they're really stout against twos. They're just, they're hard to score against inside. They're pretty good defending the three by percentage, but they're, they tend to give up a little more uh, easily from out there. Good shot opportunities. So uh, that's the profile, but yeah, this is just a solid defensive team. They're top 60, I think in, in defensive rebounding. Yeah. So they're not elite there, but they're pretty good means most of the time when they're generating a miss, they're ending the possession. That's good. So, yeah, lots to be happy about on that end. And Archie Miller's teams were pretty good defensively, too. I think this team is a little better than any of his work yeah. at that end. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's really where Indiana has gotten its work done this year, I think, is that they are a very good defensive team, and that has enabled them to – put themselves in position to break this tournament route. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you, and they're about average length of offensive possession, uh, 140. So, yeah, but again, that's a little, that's a little quicker than, you know, we saw Archie Miller, the Archie Miller was so weird because when they hired him, I, mean, I thought, and I think most of the college basketball world thought it was a great hire. He had been very successful at Dayton. He seemed to fit, the general mold of a guy who can be successful in the big 10 and mm-hmm. you know um all of those things seem to make seem to make sense but my god it just never worked and and worse or not worse that but just as bad as not working was the fact that they were an ugly boring uninteresting program to watch yeah (laughs) which is one thing you couldn't say say what you will about uh about tom crane right Mm. tom crane at least most of his teams because of the style they played they might lose but they were reasonably entertaining uh they know they they played at a fast pace they shot a ton of threes you know they were they were fun to watch if you wanted offensive basketball. Archie Miller's era just was just so dire mm-hmm. across the boards, and so this has been a little more. They haven't been much more effective, but it's been a little more entertaining in terms of how fast they're playing. They're not all, they're not the hurrying Hoosiers yet, but they're they're a little faster than they've been, as you said, middle of the pack nationally, and that's actually I think a little bit of an improvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you look at the starters, Xavier Johnson, 6'3", transfer from Pitt. Um, he was one of the guys that they held out of the Northwestern game. Uh, he's averaging 10.6 points a game, 41 from the floor, 36 from 373 from the line, uh, and just over four assists. Um, 
at a two to one ratio. You know, his numbers are decent. Like they look at those numbers you just cited and they're okay. Mm -hmm. But I just, in watching him, I'm just, I'm never, I'm never convinced that he's the answer. And I think part of the reason for that is I don't, I'm not convinced by his decision-making. And I mean that across the board. Like, I'm not convinced he makes other guys better. The assist numbers are okay. Mm. You know, they're not bad. But I mentioned, I think one of the problems they've got is that they don't get as much out of those big men, particularly Trace Jackson Davis, as they should. And you're talking about a guy who last year had everybody – thinking he'd had a great season and he shot a little bit under 52% from the floor. He's shooting better than 58% this year, yet his scoring is down. Mm -hmm. What's the deal? Well, I would submit part of it is the guards are not doing a very good job of looking for those, for those guys. And when I watch them play, I see it all the time. Mm -hmm. I see it all the time where they just, they go possession after possession without him touching the ball in the post. It's crazy. (laughs) Because <laughs> he's by far their best player. So I put a lot of that on Xavier Johnson. I also think, despite decent shooting numbers, he's a guy, my impression of him after watching him for this season, I'll admit I didn't see a lot of him at Pitt, but watching him in Indiana, he's a guy who can make a couple big shots to keep you right in a game, mm-hmm. and then he can take you right out of it by taking bad shots. I just am not convinced with his decision-making. Yeah. Uh, and then Parker Stewart, 6'5", senior transfer from UT Martin. Uh, he also sat out last game. 6.9 points a game, 43-45 from three, 67 from the line. Great shooting numbers. He's In terms of being a three-point threat on a team that can really use that, he's been exactly as advertised. That was the, mm-hmm. he, you know, He's one of these rare transfers that actually – sat out a year. He sat out last year. Um, so he's been in the pro, although it was a different coach, but he's been in the program. Uh, they anticipated that he would come in and give them a shooting bump. And he has, mm-hmm. but he's only average. He's not even averaging seven points a game. So what does that tell you? He's not getting enough shots for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a guy I, we talk about at Michigan state with Tyson Walker, right? The percentage is really good, but he's not scoring enough. So what does that tell you? Well, maybe you would be better off with a much higher volume and a little bit of a decline on the percentage side. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would say that's kind of the deal with with Parker Stewart. Yeah. Uh, and then Miller Cop, six seven senior transfer from Northwestern, um, six point one points a game, thirty seven thirty seven and ninety one shooting. You know, I, he's kind of been what he was more or less at Northwestern, but I have to believe that Indiana's a little bit disappointed. When they got him as a transfer, that was that was a little bit of a, a jolt. Mm-hmm. Because Cop was a three-year starter at Northwestern. He had been a, a consistent double-digit scorer for them. And I assume, I know I felt this way, that they felt, okay, we, we may be getting a guy to give our offense a little bit of a jolt because he could shoot. Uh, he's 6'7", so he can occasionally do some other things, although he's not really... You know, sometimes Northwest would play him at the, at the four, four. And yeah. he was miscast. He's just not that guy. But, you know, he's big enough he could do some things around the rim, right? And, boy, it just 
it has not happened. The shooting numbers are fine, but he just, again, another guy, he doesn't get enough shots. Yeah, six points a game seems a little low for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was he was a consistent, I, I'm positive his last two years, and maybe even his freshman year, was a double-digit scorer at Northwestern. Now, granted, he's going from a spot where he was the number one option for those teams. I think that's a fair assessment, uh, to, or, or number two at worst to a, a spot where he's somewhere further down the pecking order, but even so, yeah, I just have to believe they thought they were going to get more. Yeah. Uh, and then race Thompson, six, six senior uh, Thompson's averaging 11.6 points a game, seven and a half rebounds, uh, which is both of those numbers. Second on the team, 55 from the floor, 20 from three and 67 from the line. Yeah. He's a good player. You know, undersized four-man, but because of his wingspan, he plays bigger than the listed height. He's, mm-hmm. he's tough to deal with around the rim, good rebounder. He's got a good motor. There's a lot to like about him. The one thing I don't like is that three-point percentage is bad, and he takes more of them than he should with that percentage. He's at about a, a, an attempt and a half per game, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're shooting 20%, that could sometimes be, you know, on a certain night, that could mean you're essentially giving away two possessions. Mm-hmm. It's it's basically like adding a turnover because he, the odds aren't good he's going to hit them. Yeah. And, you know, you miss those shots. What is that? So I, a lot to like about him. That's the one thing I, I don't really like. But otherwise, good player. Mm-hmm. Well, especially when you got the other guys on the wings not shooting enough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right, uh, exactly. And then Trace Get Jackson. A couple of those to Copper Stewart. Yeah. Uh, then Trace Jackson Davis, six nine junior, uh, team high seventeen point six points a game, eight and a half rebounds. Um, he leads the Big Ten in block shots with sixty in twenty three games, fifty eight percent from the floor, sixty six from the line. Yeah, a, a couple of numbers are are noteworthy to me. Well, three. I'll start with the least impactful one first. His rebounding's down half a rebound a game. Not a big deal, but, you know, it is a decline. His scoring is down a point and a half a game, despite the fact that, as I said, he's shooting about 7% better from the floor. Part of that is that he's getting a little over two fewer free throw attempts per game. So some of this is what I said earlier. It's on those guards, not getting him enough shots. But when you look at those free throw attempt numbers, that tells you something that actually matches what I've seen with my eyes. I don't think he's as active. I don't think he's been as hard to guard this year. Mm-hmm. Not consistent, not on a consistent basis. You know, his numbers are good. It's hard to look at his season and say, well, he's playing poorly. But it's also hard to say, that he's been what I think they thought he was going to be because a lot of people figured he was gone. Mm-hmm. And then he elected to come back. And when you get a guy like that who's coming off a great year where he almost averaged a double-double, and you expect, I mean, I expected, well, Trace Jackson Davis, I figured he would have a year pretty similar to what we've seen out of Kofi Coburn this season. Mm-hmm. You know, scoring in the low 20s, double-digit rebounder, I, th- I thought those were very reasonable expectations for him. And uh, it has not happened. 
And I think some of it is on him and some of it is on his teammates mm-hmm. or his coaches. Whoever's responsible ultimately for his not seeing the ball more. You know, but he, there's a there's a lot to like with Trace Jackson Davis, you know. He's a you mentioned the shot blocking numbers. He's he's always been a, a good overall defender, uh, and that hasn't changed. He's not just a shot blocker. Um, he's a reliable scoring presence inside. He, he's a magnet for fouls, uh, even this year. You know, good rebounder. I mean, what is there to not like about his game? Mm-hmm. But I just think it's sort of a a phenomenon where you expect more yeah out of a guy you know especially if they came back you you'd think maybe he yeah, had other things he worked on and and that's the thing well and he is better in some respects i mean the shooting percentage is significantly improved eight percent is nothing to sneeze at especially yeah. when you're already a plus 50 percent guy so that's a good thing but you know the defense he's never been better as a defender in my opinion hmm but the the free throw attempts thing is a little bit concerning to me because I think it reflects activity level or lack thereof, and uh, and then just he's not getting enough shots. Mm-hmm. If you're a team that is outside of the top 100 in offensive efficiency, wouldn't you think you'd be going to the guy who's your most efficient player as much as possible? <laughs> yeah, you'd think. Uh... Kind of a head scratcher. Um, so coming off the bench, Rod, they got Trey Galloway, six four sophomore. He started in the Northwestern game and wound up with a season high thirteen points. Um, but as you said, he struggled uh, to run that offense. Five turnovers. Um, he's averaging six point four points a game, fifty four from the floor, twenty nine from three, seventy one from the line, in about twenty one minutes a game this year. Yeah, it's pretty clear to me that um, that Mike Woodson likes him, mm-hmm. and and I think Archie Miller liked him before that. You know, he played him a lot, relatively speaking, for a guy who really didn't shoot very well at all as a freshman. And Galloway is still not a good shooter as a jump shooter, at least, but he's gotten a little better. He's knocking on the door, being thirty percent. I think if this guy could ever be a thirty-five percent three-point shooter he'd be a starting caliber player mm. in the big Ten because he, he's a good defensive player. He's got good size, good athleticism, you know, he's switchable defensively, um, versatile. He plays hard. He's a guy who plays with a pretty consistent motor. Now he's a guy I've mentioned this before in talking about him, Michigan state recruited him and offered him fairly early on. And he, he actually, I know he was at, a, at least one midnight madness. Mm. Uh, but went with the home state school and, you know, not, not a shocker when that happens. So he was a guy Tom Izzo liked. And I think that the things that I just mentioned are the reasons why, mm. like, okay, he plays hard. He plays consistently hard, which is also important. And he can do a lot of different things. The one thing he can't do very well yet is the shooting. And that is a problem that puts a limit on how much you can contribute, but, you know, they still like him out on the court a good amount, as reflected by those minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then Ger- Jordan Geronimo, uh, athletic 6'6", sophomore, 4.1 points a game, 3.9 rebounds in 13 minutes, uh, 49 from the floor, 32 from three, 49 from the line. 
Yeah, you know, it's an impressive number, um, those rebounds, and those rebounds per minute. You know, 13, 13 minutes a game and you're grabbing almost four boards. Yeah. That's pretty solid work. You know, if you were playing starter minutes, you're talking about an eight-rebound-a-night guy. And it makes sense because you look at him, his, he's reminiscent of, you know, IU under, um, under uh, Crane had a couple of these guys. Whenever I see him, and he's not exactly the same player, but whenever I see him, I think my mind goes to uh, Victor Oladipo and O.J. Ananubi. Mm. Two guys who, similar to Geronimo, were not major recruits, you know? They weren't top 50 guys. I think some of, some of those guys might have even been outside the top 100. And and yet, you you look at them and you say, why? Because they it seems so obvious. They have strong bodies that enable them to be contributors early. They're athletic. They've got, so the first two guys at least had skill sets. Geronimo is still trying to work on his. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is a guy that I'm not going to be surprised if he takes a leap in his last two years, he's, he's already taken a jump this season from being a guy who didn't do a lot as a freshman to a solid member of the rotation and a contributor this year. Mm. But I think there are other steps to come, especially if he can get his shot dialed in, be more of an offensive presence. Yeah. Uh, And then Tamar Bates, six, five freshman um, was out with the Northwestern game, four points a game. Um, 35 from the floor, 30 from 386 from the line. Yeah, I think they expected more from him, and he's been okay. 15 minutes a game as a freshman, he's done okay. Mm. But he was a very hot name in the spring, and every spring we see this uh, for one reason or another. Either it's a guy who goes rocketing up the recruiting rankings or at least the offers, the quality of offer he gets, because there are relatively few guys available and somebody gets hot as a, uh, as a senior and, and starts getting offers they wouldn't have dreamed of in the, in the fall. Uh, or more recently, it's the situation that we saw with Bates where there's a coaching change. So Shaka Smart leaves Texas for Marquette. Mm-hmm. Bates, for whatever reason, decides he's not going to follow Shaka. So he reopens. He's let out of his letter of intent. He reopens his recruitment, and Mike Woodson won it. And that, plus the fact that he'd had a very strong senior year, contributed to this idea that he was, oh, he was an impact guy. I mean, there were definitely people that thought he might even be able to start at IU, but that he would be a guy who maybe would be in the conversation with Max Christie and and Caleb Houston as among the best freshmen in the conference. And he hasn't been close to that. I mean, his impact is basically, you know, maybe of, of, slightly lesser Jaden Akins, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I don't think he's as good a defender as Jaden Akins, but some of the numbers, the minutes and the scoring are, are not that dissimilar. Uh, certainly still has a future. I don't mean to say that, but he has not maybe met what was probably a little bit on, uh, unfair of unfair hype mm-hmm. uh speaking of that that uh, christian lander yeah. six foot sophomore sat out the northwestern game um with Finnessy out he's still the backup um 
averaging 3.4 points a game, 48, 40, and 75. Yeah, the, the one thing you can give him is he's he's managed to shoot, although those numbers are, are on very, very low volume. But, you know, he came in. Let's, let's rewind the story with Christian Lander. He joined their team last year after reclassifying. So he was originally in what should have been this year's freshman class. Mm-hmm. So the class of uh, 21, right? And he was considered a five-star, like a McDonald's All-American level, that kind of guy in his class. Then he reclassified. And I'll admit to it, we in the preseason last year, I remember talking about him as, okay, maybe this is the guy that finally solves the Indiana point guard problem. Mm-hmm. And to say he didn't come close is putting it mildly. I mean, he had a horrendous season. And it was obvious. He clearly just was not ready. He yeah. wasn't ready from a physical point of view for starters. I'd still argue that's the case. He's still ultra, ultra thin. And that matters a little less at his position than others, but it's not nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you still have to have some strength. I mean, I've spent some time over the last few days talking about you know, Michigan State's perimeter guys not being strong enough at times with the balls. So you still have to have strength, and he's got none to speak of. So that's been an issue. But I think even this year when you look at the shooting numbers and you say, okay, that's you know low volume, but he's at least sticking shots when he takes them. But his playmaking, he's he's underwater in terms of assist-to-turnover ratio. I think he's got 12 assists and 17 turnovers on the season. So I'm left wondering, is he really a point guard at all? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I thought this was going to be a big year for him, and I, I still feel that way. That he kind of needed to establish, is he a guy that's good enough to be part of this thing going forward? Or are they going to move on? Because Mike Woodson inherited him. He didn't recruit him initially. So at this point, my thinking would be he's probably in another in another school next year. But what do I know? There could be other things that come into play, but I, I just don't see that he's done nearly enough to say, okay, this is a guy that even though you, you can assume that Indiana is probably starting over at that position next year since Finnessy and Johnson are seniors. Maybe they return for a COVID year, but no lock of that. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't see it. But he's important to them now because they need somebody to play those minutes with Finnessy out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Michael Durfs, uh seven-foot senior transfer from South Florida. Uh, he was also out in Northwestern. 2.2 points a game, 1.1 rebound in eight minutes, 48% from the floor, 71 from the line. Another guy that's been a little bit disappointing, I have to say, you know, he was brought in with the idea that he was someone who could help them defensively. And when I've seen him play at times this year, he has done that. I've seen him have stretches where I thought he was playing pretty well defensively, but a big part of his game was supposed to be rim protection. He's got five block shots on the year. Marcus Bainham has had that in games. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, the minutes aren't the same, but you get my drift. He's so uh, he's been okay, and truthfully, they they should want to play Trace Jackson Davis as many minutes as they can anyway. But uh, a little 
disappointing, I think, relative to what they thought. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a theme with a lot of the the players on this Indiana team. I mean, Indiana as a whole, are are they a little bit disappointing as a team? Or do you think they're about where they would be? Well, I think there's two different discussions there. There's what the basketball world thought would happen, and there's what Indiana thought might happen. (laughs) And if you look at, and I don't mean that, I don't mean that snidely. Mm -hmm. I I think that Indiana probably figured, all right, we're going to get better performances out of, you know, we're going to get a Xavier Johnson that's close to his ceiling. And we're going to get Miller cop that's close to his ceiling and Michael Durr, you know, here's the thing. And there's another, I'll bring this point back around for a second to Michigan state. You know, whenever Michigan state loses, uh, a couple of games, the uh, parts of louder parts of the fan base, not necessarily the majority by any means, but louder parts of the fan base. So it's the same old pattern. You will see every old bit get trotted out as to what Michigan state should do. Um, and it's, you know, the assistant coaches are garbage. He's got to change the staff. Is those offenses stale? Um, Oh, you know, just all the old bits that you know, they need to play zone. I mean, all the stupid <laughs> shit that people say. It's just dumb. One newer one, though, and it's newer only because it's now an option, and I, I think Michigan State football has actually inadvertently played a role in this, is, well, Michigan State needs, Izzo needs to hit the transfer portal harder. Well, for one thing, he did hit the transfer portal. He mm. went out and he got a point guard, a guy that Maryland wanted, a guy that Kansas wanted. And, and he's done some good things, but has not done enough in Tyson Walker, right? So Izzo did actually get active in that spot. The only thing you could criticize him for, in my view, was not adding uh, a wing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know in the end how much that would have mattered because the way they played, they're, they're, if you had added another guy, it was going to mean fewer minutes for Gabe Brown and Max Christie. Yeah. Do you want that? I don't know. Or Jaden Akins, for that matter. So... But the reason I bring this up is Indiana, out of necessity, hit the transfer portal very hard. So it will include Parker Stewart, even though he was there sitting out last year because he was a transfer. So all three of the perimeter starters this year are transfers. Johnson, Cop, Stewart. Durr is a transfer as a as a reserve on the inside. So I've just named four guys. 40% of their rotation are transfers. Has it made them significantly better? I don't know. I mean, I look at it, and, you know, and the other problem is the portal giveth and the portal taketh away. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you add all these guys on the perimeter, but you also lost Al Durham, who, in my mind, was their best guard for the last three years running. Would they have been better off? They'd just been able to keep Al Durham and maybe add a couple fewer of these guys. Maybe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think to answer your question, it's a, it's a tough one because if they make the tournament, that is progress. And I think they're on track to do that. Mm. Um, so it's hard to say, well, that's disappointing. And, and hey, there were a lot of skeptics of the Mike Woodson hiring. So for him to do that in his first year. And he's also, he seems to be recruiting pretty well. Mm -hmm. That would suggest to me that 
you know, you need to put the pitchforks away. I don't think Indiana fans were necessarily feeling that way. I think they were pretty enthused in general, but uh, there were definitely people around college basketball that were critical of that hire. And I think it's, it's time to at least give him a chance to see what he can, what he can pull off here. But, you know, in a big 10 that is kind of, I mean, there are opportunities. It's not like you had absolute juggernauts all around the time. You know, there, there's an opportunity for Indiana. I think if everything broke the right way, they could have been competitive for a top four finish. Mm-hmm. And that's unlikely right now. It's not impossible, but it's unlikely. And so is that disappointing? Maybe. It's a hard, they're a hard team to peg that way, in my opinion, at least. Are they disappointing or are they not? I don't know. I would, I'd say by and large in the Big Ten, a lot of the transfers have been a little bit underwhelming. And maybe yes. it's just because people's expectations kind of got uh, skewed with with seeing how well Mike Smith did. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Michigan last year, um, you know, drew a, drew a straight flush. And it worked out really, really well for them. Uh, but that is not the rule. Now, there are transfers that have, that have done well. I think adding Plummer at Illinois has been a big boost. Yeah. For them. Um, you know, that was an important addition. Uh, so there are, there are given situations where I think that has helped, but I would agree with you that by, and uh, you know, then you can go to teams like Minnesota that are just filled with transfers and say, okay, there are guys that have helped and, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, it's hard to draw the equation there because they lost so much, you know, somebody has to score some points. Uh, but I, I do think that, by and large, you're not going to win a lot in this league. You're not going to contend for championships, at least, if you are ultra-heavy in reliance on the portal. I think the way you have to look at it, Illinois is a really good example. Mm. They When they lost the Miller kid to LSU, they went out and they found somebody who could fill a role, come in, had a had a background and a track record as a shooter and say, all right, this is this is what we need. We need a guy who can fill those minutes and produce. And it wasn't to be the main guy, and it wasn't that they needed three starters in the backcourt. They needed a guy to fill that role, and he's done that very well. I think at times Michigan State has gotten that out of Tyson Walker at times, mm-hmm. not consistently enough. Um, at a position that was very much of need for them. You know, then you look at other teams too. I mean, as, as we're recording this, I'm watching Maryland getting absolutely obliterated by Iowa at home. Um, it's 103 to 76 with four minutes left. I mean, Iowa right. was on a pace. It looked like they were going to score about 120. But look at Maryland. Maryland landed probably two guys that were on most people's top 10 certainly top 20 transfer list nationally. Yeah. The big kid and then uh, Fats Russell with the point. Yeah. How's that work? Now, there's a lot more than that going on at Maryland, let's be fair, but it hasn't worked, you know? So it's a hard thing, and and I understand. I don't, you know, I'm not convinced that Mike Woodson's going to go this route year in, year out. I think he was in a spot where he needed to try some things for this year, and then we'll see how it, it goes going forward. The Big Ten 
has definitely not been a conference to date where the transfer portal has been a major, major part of things. It's been at the margins for the most part. Michigan being kind of an outlier, but even there, you know, Michigan, the keys to that team, Dickinson was a high school recruit. Wagner was already on the roster. Livers was a long-term guy. You know, it's not like it was uh, Chris Beard's Texas Tech Mm -hmm. where it's all transfers, you know. It wasn't that. So, yeah, I think I think in in the 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 bigger picture, you're you're going to see transfers used best as guys that can fill a particular role on a team and not be asked to be a centerpiece. Yeah, you know that's that's what I think. There are always going to be exceptions. There will be times where you know someone gets a basketball equivalent of Kenneth Walker. Mm-hmm. that's going to happen, you know, uh, but it's not going to be the rule. I think for Michigan State fans, just to finish that thought too, I think the fact that Kenneth Walker had just a, a season nobody could have even remotely imagined possible uh, as a transfer, unfortunately leads, you know, there's a poster on the Spartan Mag board who talks a lot about football first fans. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's truth to that. There are a lot of people in every Big Ten schools fan base, not just Michigan State, who are, are primary, their, their first love is football. And then basketball is something they like and they, and they watch, and maybe they even played in high school, you know, but they don't really, really, really get it mm-hmm. fully. And I think that's where a lot of this stuff comes from, is that people say, oh, well, Kenneth Walker Jr. came in and was a Heisman candidate. Tom Izzo <laughs> can't find a competent point guard. Well, isn't that easy? Mm-hmm. You know, most of the time, people don't like to hear this. Most of the time, guys are leaving somewhere for a reason, and the reason isn't good. Yeah. Most of the time, right? Yeah. And football's more, more of a plug-and-play type of sport anyway. You know, you can get a defensive end and just have him pin his ears back, and he can do that anywhere. I mean, De- depending really. depending upon what you're asking out of them, I think there's truth to that. Obviously, mm-hmm. quarterback could be very different, but yeah, yeah, it's you know, and then and then you've also got to look at the individual programs involved. There are some programs, you know, look, give credit to Chris Beard. Chris Beard was absolutely able to make that work with mm-hmm. transfers with guys who didn't have a background in his program and came in and he found a way to turn them into a cohesive whole. You know, um, there have been other guys over the years who managed to do that. If you go back far enough, you know, somebody like Jerry Tarkanian who made copious use of junior college transfers. Yeah. It was kind of a similar thing. I mean, even Hoiberg um, at, at Iowa state. Fred was Hoiberg, able to do absolutely. Really well. Absolutely. But I think Michigan state, is not a program where that's easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had, if you think about it, now there have been exceptions. I mean, I think, I think it took Brent Forbes maybe half a season. And really, if you want to, if you want to get to talking about when he really became a major impact guy, it, it took until his second year to yeah. really do that. He was effective in his first year as a shooter, but, you know, his defense took a while to come around. You know, there were things there. Aaron Harris 
was okay at Michigan State, maybe never quite matched expectations, but he also sat out a year at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. You know, Brandon Wood was a grad transfer, one-year guy who came in, fit in very well. That worked. You know, Joey Hauser, we've got going on right now, who even had the benefit of sitting out a year. I think he's found a better level of play this season, but uh, he's not what he was billed to be. I think everyone would agree with that because his billing was a star and he hasn't been that. So I don't think it's an easy thing to walk into Michigan state. And maybe that it's not going to be an easy thing to walk into Mike Woodson's Indiana. I don't know. You know, we, we don't have enough time under in terms of what his regime looks like there to know, but in any event, I, I guess to answer the, the question that kicked all this off, I think they're a very difficult team to pin down in terms of whether they've met expectations or not for a variety of reasons. It's mm-hmm. it's hard. I If it were me, if I were an Indiana fan after years of not making the tournament and I make the tournament this year, warts and all, I take it. Yeah. Like, great start. Won't be enough two years from now. Yeah. But it's, it's <laughs> yeah. fine. I guarantee you that. But it's it's enough for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you look at the keys, Rod, number one, um, toughness. Yeah, I mean, uh, Izzo talked about it after the Wisconsin game. It's the most disheartening thing to come out of these last two games. and And surprising to see it against Wisconsin because – you figured, at least I figured, okay, Rutgers was one of those days where it happens. And we've seen similar things happen before. They're kind of hard to explain or to understand, but they occur, and they'll get it fixed. And they, they it certainly sounds like Izzo was working on it, and it just didn't improve mm-hmm. enough between you know that game and the Wisconsin game. And you're at home, too, and you can't find the energy. So that's, that's got to change. I mean, Indiana has a lot of issues. But one problem they don't have, in my opinion, is generally speaking, their energy, their toughness. They're going to they're gonna come to play. Mm-hmm. They're going to try to make, you know, their defense being as good as it is, they're going to be hard to play against. And so Michigan State has got to match that and hopefully surpass it. And, and again, going back to that Wisconsin game, the biggest shocker there, I thought they were okay, not great, but okay in terms of their competitiveness defensively. But offensively, they were just dead in the water. And so that can't be repeated. This is Wisconsin's an okay defensive team. Indiana's legitimately good. They're better than Wisconsin at the defensive end. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to work just to get decent looks. Uh, so then defensive rebounding, which is, I mean, there, there's it seems like, there's been a couple games where it shined and then for the most part, yeah, not much. The, the, the last two games, Rutgers and Wisconsin didn't look horrific until you really drilled down into the, the offensive rebounding percentages. Mm-hmm. And both of those games, those teams, they didn't have huge counting numbers, but that's in part because they shot pretty well. When you looked at the offensive rebounding percentages, MSU gave up, it was way too high. So we've still got a big problem that's got to get solved. And and I don't know yet how, if and how that will be done, but I know it's got to happen. You can't win games this way consistently. You just can't. 
Uh, and then the third key, uh, and this is kind of in reference to to the offense, purpose. Yeah, it, it gets back to that toughness stuff, but it's a little more uh, specific point. They spent that entire first half just kind of drifting around without any intent as to what they were doing. Guys weren't moving. They weren't cutting hard enough. Screens weren't set well. Everything was just in slow motion and lackadaisical, Mm. and they were very easy to guard. That will not get it done in this game. If they come out with a rerun of that, it isn't happening. They're going to lose again. Um, I would like to think that it will be different. It was a little different in the second half against Wisconsin, so if you're looking for silver lining, signs of optimism, that would be one. Uh, but that's what's got to happen, Yeah. point blank. There has to be an intent, a purpose to what they are looking to do offensively. Uh, and then make shots. It Bad sounds few, simple, but... <laughs> few not-so-good shooting games here recently. It's weird, though. I mean, you know, they they didn't shoot well, if I remember correctly, against Maryland yeah. and won. They shot great from three against Rutgers, and it didn't even come close to mattering. And then they didn't shoot very well in, in losing to Wisconsin. I, I think here, here's where I'm at with this. We said Indiana is very good in terms of their two-point defense. So you go in assuming you're not going to get a ton done in the lane. You hope to get some things done, but probably not a ton. I don't think Michigan State's going to be able to get much done in transition. You know, that's just, I think Indiana's a disciplined enough team. I think they're going to be tough in that regard. So what does that leave you? Well, one of the things that leaves you is three-point shooting. And Indiana is somewhat vulnerable to giving up a, decent looks from three. Michigan State's got to cash those in. Mm-hmm. Have to. Uh, and then the fifth key is point guard. Um, certainly better play out of both of them than we got the last game, but certainly certainly we need more from Walker. Yeah, that, that's where it really, you know, I think I mentioned, uh, I mentioned a, a while ago the um, uh, airing of the grievances that comes with Michigan State on the fan base when Michigan State loses a couple of games in a row. And it's like clockwork. It's all the old bits get trotted out. But where I'm at, there are all these other things, you know, defensive rebounding, absolutely valid concern. At times, defensive inconsistency. Now we've got this thing where, you know, they didn't play hard enough offensively. They didn't move and play with purpose. You know, all those things are true. But I think if you're going to, if you're going to, Focus on one thing, one individual in particular. It's the same guy I had targeted in October. It's Tyson Walker. Because A.J. Hogarth has had a better season than I thought him capable of having. But, in my opinion, he is, in terms of where Michigan State needs improvement, I'm not sure that he's capable of giving them that this year. Maybe with another offseason, because he's not a shooter. We all know that. The world knows that, right? Mm-hmm. I, in fact, I think he's done about as well as a shooter as anyone could have reasonably expected him to. I think he's actually been a better shooter than I thought he would be this year, but he's not good enough. And I don't think he has it in him right now to be good enough. The reason that matters is the Big Ten is largely a half-court game 
So right away, if you're not able to play in transition a lot, that's not AJ's strength. That doesn't mean he can't succeed in the half court, but it's not his. It's not where he's at his best. Mm-hmm. To be at your best in the modern era, I think it's really hard to do that if you don't have a guy who could punish teams for playing pick and roll different ways. And one of the things you need is you need a guy who's capable of hitting a shot. You know, stepping out, hitting a 17 to 21 foot jumper. Mm. Tyson Walker absolutely has that in his repertoire. There's no doubt about it. He doesn't take it enough. He is hesitant too often. So to me, that is where it starts. You, If you want to be better offensively in the half court, Tyson Walker is the guy who has the skill set to do that. It's not enough to say he has a skill set. He actually has to go out there and do it, which is a different thing, as we know. But he's the guy who has the capability, is my point. I can't put that on A.J. Hogard because I don't think A.J. Hogard has that in him. And if if you said it in the the Wisconsin review, right? If A.J. Hogard is your best option there, you might have a problem. Mm. That's what I mean. And I think that's what you meant, you know, in, in one way or another, you know. So it's it's Tyson Walker. You know, he's still got time. Everybody thinks this is a done look. I've seen guys take leaps later in seasons. And, you know, Tyson Walker's basically got, you know, four weeks till we hit the big tournament. Mm-hmm. He's got time, but it's running short for this year. And it's a it's a it's a simple thing, but it's obviously a, a difficult thing to actually go out and execute, which is he's got to be more aggressive. And if he takes 12 shots and he hits four of them, so what? Because hmm. they're not, on a lot of those possessions where he's unwilling to pull the trigger, they're not getting good shots anyway. Yeah. That... Okay. Well, actually, I got this one listed on my app at 3.30. Is that? Okay. Saturday, three thirty on box. Be. We'll go with that. Okay. Uh, all right. Any final thoughts heading into this one? Two game well, losing streak. We're both on a two game <laughs> losing streak here. Yeah, it's a big one. I mean, it feels big because it is big. You know, and as I said, coming out of, out of that Wisconsin game, even though in the standings it doesn't look like you should feel this way, but my feeling is, hey, put Big Ten titles stuff, put all that aside. Don't think about it. Doesn't matter. Right now, the focus has got to be game by game by game. Let's get better. That's one thing that last year's team, in the depths of despair that they were in, Mm -hmm. right about this time, maybe a week later, started to figure it out and got better. They didn't have – this team has a lot more opportunity for growth than that one did. But it goes to show you it is possible – no one would have believed that team was capable of beating anybody in the top five. Mm-hmm. And they beat three teams in the top five. So the opportunity is there for this team to still have a really, really nice season. I don't have much doubt about that. But the clock is ticking. Mm-hmm. So those improvements have to start happening now. And that's really where my focus would be is are they getting better? 
and let all the other stuff sort itself out. But are they making the improvements they need to make? And that's, again, why I come back to that point guard as so important, because that's really where it starts. And then if that gets solved, then you worry about these other things. Mm -hmm. But if that doesn't get solved, it's going to be tough for anything else to matter all that much. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that and get a uh, post-gamer up after this one. Until then, the final four is... At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.